You've found the podcast where driving matters. Whether you haul, commute, or cruise, we want you to love what you drive. We're here to help you find usability and fun. From first-time buyers to jaded experts, we believe everyone is one great car away from being car-obsessed. I'm Todd. I'm Paul. And this is the Everyday Driver Car Debate. Hello again, everybody. Happy Friday. And I think not only are we TGIF, where we're really excited to be done with the week and the workday and all that kind of stuff, I also think people are done with staying home because pilgrimage is already sold out. I can't believe that. We had 14 slots and they're gone. We're taking twice as big a group as we've ever taken. And I just kind of had a big gulp moment and went, okay, I guess it's happening. I guess we're really excited. I'm, I'm actually very excited. I am too. This is double what we've ever done before. And you're right. People are ready to get out, uh-huh. ready yep. to drive, yep. ready to go see stuff mm-hmm. and just get together with friends and family. So yeah, thanks for signing up. We're very appreciative. I guess at this point, we'll start a wait list just in case. There, there is but, a wait list available but otherwise, through Eventbrite if you want somebody, if you think somebody's maybe going to fall out. But uh, it is coming up on us quick. That'll be the end of June. And between now and then, dawns on me, because <clears throat> I've been thinking about editorial today. Okay. Between now and then, you and I have to finish all of season 11. E- between now and yeah. we leave the pilgrimage. That's how fast it's all happening. It's a lot of good stuff, though. <laughs> Well, welcome back to the podcast. We've got a great couple of debates for you. First, from Richard D. in Spokane, Washington, who joined us on the Utah Adventure mm-hmm. last year in 2021. Yep. We're yep. planning on doing another one, so stay uh, stay informed for that. If you go to everydaydriver.com to the Adventures tab, you can find uh, when we post for that. Mm-hmm. But Richard joined us. He has a conundrum because he was planning on getting a car, and then things changed in his life. All kinds of stuff changed, yep. We've also got RG in Europe, who is originally from Portland, Oregon, but RG wants to know the ideal digital nomad car because That's not a question I expected. Well, yeah, apparently he can work from anywhere mm-hmm. and he wants to buy a car in Poland and drive all over Europe and wants to know what's the best car for that. That's craziness. I love it. We now have an auto parts partnership with carparts.com. Carparts.com is the smarter way to shop for auto parts. Their fast, mobile-friendly experience makes it easy to shop for the parts you need when you need them. Just enter the year, make, and model of your vehicle. Start shopping and start saving. It's that simple. CarParts.com stocks their own inventory, cutting out the middleman and passing the savings on to you. And they're offering even more savings for our audience. Whether you've been in a collision, working on your project car, or need to catch up on maintenance, visit CarParts.com slash EverydayDriver for 10% off of $100 or more on select brands. Get the right parts right now at carparts.com. Let's dive into Richard's email. He says the best laid plans are often thwarted. It's also a word I don't get to use in a sentence very often. Thwarted is super fun. It is a good one. It really is. He was thinking that he would be writing a car conclusion after he settled on a nitro yellow Supra, GR Supra mm. 3.0 premium. Ooh, that sounds awesome. It does. They're very cool. To replace his Genesis Coupe, but instead he needs to replace the school bus, his 09 Toyota Venza. These are not the same. They definitely aren't. Mm-hmm. Well, the paint now, well, a yellow. That'll be the good, the good new school bus. <laughs> Except since he's been chasing a Supra, he says the process is slow if you want a specific trim and color. Of course it is, yeah. He had identified four cars on the West Coast that met his specifications when the Venza wanted attention, like rear struts and front wheel bearings and new brakes and dumping money into a Venza is not really something you want to do. Definitely not, yes. So he put the super search on hold, and at the start of February, after searching for a month in vain, he put down a deposit at his local Toyota dealer. He's been trying to work out one of those dealer trades for one of two yellow Mm. Supras arriving in port later in the month. That was until the moment he was writing, the day he was writing this email to us. 
all, all of a sudden, Davenza taps on his shoulder and says, excuse me, I'm complaining again. Burning oil, over two quarts of oil in the past 2,800 miles. That's a lot. He's been told that it, to actually fix the Venza, and this is a first-gen Venza when they were kind of kind of a wagon and kind of not a wagon. Now they're all hybrid. This is right. the first-gen. They, they didn't know what they wanted to be. In then. order to really fix this, they need a new short block and accessories totaling somewhere between eight and $10,000 to get the Venza into proper working order. And his mechanic agrees with them. I'm a major mechanic, mm. didn't like, you know, shout this from the rooftops. The Venza really must go. Eight to 10 grand to get it right. There, there's nothing about that that should be done. No kidding. See, eight to 10 grand to get a vintage car running and make it right. Ah, I see where you went. I am all mm-hmm. about yes, it. I understand. You can justify yes. that. It has a Porsche badge and some pedigree. And Paul's like, let's spend some money. But a Toyota Venza, <laughs> oh, money I don't we're have. done. Yeah. <laughs> you just pull out your credit card. Well, Richard's Garage has an 03 Mazda B2300 pickup. He says, it's a manual transmission, four-cylinder, and anyone who says a car is better with a manual needs to come drive his truck. (laughs) This apparently doesn't help that truck much, which is interesting. We've known a few people that have written the podcast that have those B2300 pickups from Mazda. Those that have them, they are beloved. And I find it interesting also, Richard, that when you get further on in this email, I expected the Mazda was going to go. Based uh, yeah, on that initial too, comment, you're like, nah, no, the Mazda's staying. It's probably bulletproof at this point. It and probably just runs. And there's history there, clearly. Yeah. yeah. Well, Richard also brought his 2012 Genesis Coupe, the V6 rear-wheel drive manual transmission, his very first sports car. He brought that to the Utah pilgrimage from Washington. He had a great time in it, yeah. Really did. So during the trip, he was able to drive some other people's cars. And he says he's got this Venza 2, four-cylinder, but at least it's brown. <laughs> I didn't know it was brown. Good it's news. brown? In top of everything else, 167,000 miles, fully broken down, and it's brown. And it needs eight to $10,000 worth of work. Yeah, all of that sounds like something we should not be doing. <laughs> and it's brown. Mm-hmm. Did we mention that? So the Mazda is staying. The Genesis Coupe is running great. So he drove Dale Supra during mm-hmm. the Utah meetup. He loved it. He also drove Peter. Peter loaned us his NB Mazda Miata for the $8,000 car shoot. So Mm -hmm. it's that burgundy color, that special edition uh, Miata. That's Peter's car. But Peter also brought his Stinger GT, and Richard drove that. Yep. He was floored by how well it handled, he said, and he also likes the green color. But where he lives in Washington, in Spokane, means four seasons, but typically only about 10 to 15 days of really snow-covered roads. Okay. But he says winter tires are a must because temps are seldom above 40 for about five months. Mm. But the upside is he's got great mountain roads. Mm. He's got a 13-mile twisty road to the top of Mount Spokane, which he does once or twice a week in the summer. That sounds nice. That sounds great, yeah. Or he can do, go to beautiful roads in northern Idaho, which he does several times a month in good weather. And then he's got southwest Colorado plan, plus our Utah pilgrimage when, we, when that happens. Yeah, we'd love to have you back. We're hoping that's September. Yeah. For sure. Well, Richard says, what is the best solution to meet as many of the following requirements as possible in one or two cars? Okay. Because I think that Venza will be donated or blown up or something. <laughs> Ceremoniously driven off a cliff. Please take video. Just, yes. No kidding. Well, he doesn't want an SUV. Okay. And prefers rear-wheel drive. But here's the biggest requirement of all. I noticed this. Talk about a big requirement. Yeah. One of the cars has to do school duty mm-hmm. for his currently 12-year-old son. Okay. His son plays acoustic bass in the orchestra. Okay. So acoustic bass. Mm-hmm. And it needs to go back and forth three days a week. Currently, it's a quarter-size bass, but he expects him as he grows to move up to the three-quarter-size bass by the time he starts driving himself. Mm. That's four years from now. And Richard, I'm going to make a a fatherhood admission here. My son is also 12. He's also taking orchestra. 
And when he was picking an instrument, I actually said to my son, you cannot play cello or bass because our cars aren't big enough. I said, I appreciate you might want them, but just so you know, we're not buying different cars for you to dabble in an instrument, just so you're aware. Maybe I'm a bad father, but I was like, this is what's happening. You cannot play those instruments. The cars aren't big enough. Well, Richard says the dimensions for the three-quarter size bass are roughly 80 inches long. Oh. So to put that in perspective, both Todd and I are six foot three. That is 75 inches. Mm-hmm. This is 80 inches tall or 80 mm-hmm. inches long, yes. 30 inches wide and 20 inches deep. How big is your son? Because I also think Holy it's moly. hysterical to me that at this age, this instrument is often lar- much larger than the person trying to deal yeah. with it. Yes. Well, school and work are 12 and 14 miles away on some country roads, some city and some freeway. But Richard wants fun all day, every day, all the time. He wants a car with an engine that wants to rev, quick, smooth shifts, strong pull off the line, good brakes, neutral handling to to manageable or predictable oversteer. Okay. He also mentions quick daily triples. (laughs) Be nice, I'm sure. Only needs two seats. It's only a son and he. Except for the massive instrument in the the back. Upright bass. That's a problem, yeah. Richard is six foot one, 230 pounds, and asks if he replaces the Venza only. Or then replaces the Venza and the Genesis with one car. Okay. Or replace the Venza and the Genesis with two cars. Whatever okay. it is, whatever whatever solution he comes up with, it's probably in the three to four year range, but he sounds like he needs it right now. He's gonna do it now and hang on to it for a bit. But yeah. Mm-hmm. Do it for that about that time period. So after his son starts driving then, then he'd think, Well, maybe a mid engine sports car and a fun hatch. <laughs> you can haul your own base. I'm getting something that <laughs> exactly. can't go in it. Yeah. Exactly. Well he says in Evora GT would be an ideal daily with something like a Corolla XSE for foul weather duty. Mm-hmm. But he says, again, that's years away. For right now, the budget is a hard cap at $70,000 if he replaces both the Venza and the Genesis. Okay. If he only replaces the Venza, it's $50,000 hard cap on that budget because he's got a year left on the Genesis loan. But okay. he does admit he could let it go. And he spent sure. some time yeah. with it, loved yeah, it, sure. and this could be a t- good time to move on. I mean, let's wipe out the garage. The, the truck's in the corner. It's not, it's just the, you know. It's sitting there, apparently not much fun to drive, and yet it's not going anywhere. It's Granted, the utility hauler. It's the, you probably would get a buck and a half for it. Exactly. So I get it. Yeah. It's like lawnmower, rake, and the. <laughs> Honey, I'm going to Home Depot, and I'm buying paint. Exactly. Taking the truck. Now, Richard prefers a three-car garage, but he's open to options. And he mentions his car history, which includes a lot of Toyotas, Camrys, and Escort, Ford Escorts, a Toyota Tercel. He's got that Venza, the brown Venza. At least it's brown. <laughs> oh, he's had two Camrys. Well, Ooh. You know, there's a lot of Toyota history here for sure. No kidding. I can see why you love that Supra so much. Not only does it speak yeah. to your Toyota proclivities, mm-hmm. but it also is such a great car to drive. And I love that you drove one on the Utah meetup because yeah. Richard came to us and he was genuinely torn. I mean, we were, it was like therapy. We were talking him <laughs> through during really lunch good. breaks, yeah, yeah. you know, debating the merits of this. Uh-huh. And then he'd get in other cars and come back and be like, all right, guys, I've decided you know, middle of the trip. <laughs> no, you what? haven't. What? <laughs> exactly. So now he needs two cars. I, I think it is time for the Genesis to go, even though you've loved the car mm-hmm. and it yeah, is yeah, good. Yeah. I think now's the time to start thinking about it. But you don't have to do two cars at once. Right? True. True. He could stagger this out a bit. Clearly the Venza needs to be replaced pronto. Yeah. But then the Genesis, I think he can, he can shop for the combination of best deal to sell and best deal to buy. I understand that your choices are based entirely upon availability. And I do yep. believe, Richard, you would still go get that Supra if it were available. It may still come through. Mm-hmm. And if it does, it's still high on my recommendation list. Sure, definitely. Car companies are, of course, at this point in time, at this recording, 
struggling to produce cars. Mm-hmm. We're now finding, if you've watched our recently released BMW M440i Grand Coupe, yes, mouthful, the seats mm-hmm. were missing their power-activated features. Yep. With the heating heating pads aside, but the power seats were missing specifically because of a chip shortage. Yep. We were able to confirm that. And so even though car companies are racing, they're struggling, and the, the demand is high, I do know that you would take that Supra. And so it's still high on my list. I still think it's worthy whether or not Toyota comes out with a GR Supra manual. Mm-hmm. And I think, Richard, you did like that automatic, and you appreciate it just for you know the ease of jumping totally. in yeah. and taking off. But something else that is coming, apparently in production soon, is the new Nissan Z car. Oh, yeah, that one. Mm-hmm. That is interesting. And who knows, if you get in there now, you might be able to get an allocation quicker than you could with a Supra. Possibly. That's an interesting point. But if that's not the case, what about going with the two-liter Supra instead of the three? I know you want the power. Sure. But if there's another Supra in another color, would you be willing to entertain that? Simply asking. Also, a two-liter is probably it's probably at least every bit as powerful as his Genesis Coupe has been. Agreed. Agreed. So that's interesting, yeah. So I like both of those. What I wanted to concentrate on, though, because I feel like there's going to be many sports cars we we could suggest to fill this slot. I, sure, yeah. I know you said, said mid-engine down the road, but Caymans could fit in here, too, mm-hmm. for your budget. And what I'm thinking about doing is splitting your $70,000 budget for allocating about fifty for the sports car, whatever that is. Oh, look at you. Okay, good. And about $20,000 for the base hauling vehicle. Yes, the the family hauler school Mm -hmm. bus equivalent, yes. You got me thinking, Richard, because at first I thought Stinger GTs, Audi A7s, this BMW Grand Coupe, early Panameras. I even toyed with the idea of a BMW Z3 Coupe. And I thought, yeah. Oh, wow, okay. It's going to be the Z3 Coupe with the base on the roof because it's still not big enough inside. It's definitely not big enough. Yeah. But I came back to $20,000 wagons is my headspace. Oh, okay. And I thought of early 2000s BMW 3 Series Tourings and Volvo wagons like an older 850R or even a V70R. I thought of Porsche Cayennes. But then it clicked. You're in Washington. And our friend, I mentioned him a lot, Adam at Sotomoto in Seattle. Oh, where'd you go? He does this thing where he brings in wagons. Wagons yeah. from Canada. He does, yeah. Mercedes E55 wagons sure. from the early okay. 2000s. Okay. Now, he's got one currently. It's a 1998 E55 with 210,000 kilometers for $22,100. But he does say, even though it is NHTSA eligible, it must be completed for importation by a registered importer, which is not mm. Adam. Okay. All that right. might be an extra step that's too far, but nevertheless... A sweet-looking E55 Mercedes wagon. And sure. The reason I say that is because I don't see you doing a long-distance thing with this car. Mm. You don't need to be putting on you know, all kinds of miles. It'll be sure, the, yeah. the bad weather car, I suppose, but you're going to be doing the school runs with the base. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, can you imagine your, your son, I think, will allow you some street cred when you rock that and the hatch goes up and the base comes out (laughs) because not only are we thinking about the base, we're thinking about the case. Oh yeah. Mm -hmm. And I don't think Richard was describing the case itself. No, he's describing the instrument. You're right. Yeah. That's craziness. I mean, cello cases are large. Cellos are big instruments themselves, but then the case makes them even bigger. Yes. So with a base, you've got to have those seats folded down the big cavernous interior of that Mercedes wagon. I see it. 
And again, this is not the car that has to be the handling great sports car kind of feel. Sure. It doesn't need to be. Mm -hmm. So why not go older where I, I think you're able to stomach that from a maintenance perspective. It'll need a few things, but it's not like this is my only car and I need to depend on this. Sure. Something goes wrong. I need to put some money into it. That is a car worth putting that kind of money into. Mm, Venza money. (laughs) Venza money into the Mercedes. I like it. Okay. I see where you went. I've got all, yeah, I went through all these kinds of things. I mean, CTSV wagons flash before my eyes before I thought, nope, let's not do that. (laughs) Cool, but no. Yeah, and no, yeah. But Adam's got all these wagons, and he's doing a lot of them. He's doing, you know, pulling a lot of them in from Canada and offering them for sale for low money, low dollars, and they're just cool. They've got higher Mm -hmm. mileage. The interiors are a little bit rough, but who cares? Mm. For a lower cost, kind of cool. That's your base hauler. That's good. That's good stuff. Are you done there then? I think so. I I, I want Richard to get in that Supra. I really do. It's either the Z or the Supra because for what he's asking for from a performance car driving and after meeting him and Mm -hmm. talking with him in person and discussing everything else, you know, he drove Caymans. He drove a lot of different stuff. He drove all kinds of stuff on the trip. And kept coming back to that Toyota. I thought, all right, well, let's not deny that. So if you mm-hmm. can get into one of those, I don't want to completely you know, rip that Band-Aid off and crush your dreams and say, sorry, that thing you really wanted, yeah, just yeah. forget about it. Richard, the thing I'm unclear on here is there, you have a Venza. You've said no SUVs. Brown I, Yeah, brown Venza. My, my point here is clearly that's been good as the school bus, the family hauler. That's been great for that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So why is there a reason to not get another SUV? You certainly could get another SUV. You also can completely avoid them. I get it. So what I think the answer here is I do think that both the Venza and the Genesis go, but I don't think they both go right away. The Venza is a huge bleed on your wallet and your your stress level and all of these things. So let's keep the Genesis in the short term Mm -hmm. with an eye like you've already had to replace it. I think there's nothing wrong with the Supra. Paul's already covered this really well. Nothing wrong with the Supra. You could certainly do Cayman. You could absolutely definitely look at the Z car when it comes out. I think the compare and contrast of the Z car and the Supra would be worth it for you, Richard, knowing what you're wanting. Because I think that a manual transmission Z car is going to feel like feel much more in kindred spirit to your Genesis just better. The Supra, I think, is going to feel more different than your Genesis. Hmm. So you might get in a Z car, and I'm, and I'm projecting here, knowing what the 370Z feels like. Mm-hmm. I think you might get into a, to a Z car, the new Z, and be like, no, 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 this is what I want. Because it might feel like the proper direct next step from your Genesis, whereas the Supra feels like a slightly different car, even though also brilliant. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I think that driving those down the line, maybe just hang on until you can drive a Z and have that compare and contrast for yourself. Okay. So that's okay. the thing with the Genesis. But let's replace this Venza. What's going on there? First off, you said no uh, SUVs, but it is an SUV. It's it's like, you know what? It is poster child for let's make a CUV. Yeah. When they first made that, it's kind of a car. It's kind of a truck. It's kind of a wagon. We're not sure. We'll call it a Venza. Where did that come from? We'll figure out what it is eventually. I don't know. <laughs> oh. It's all bad. Sorry, that was even oh. bad for me. Oh, so man. The, so let's replace that. First off, in the world of actual SUVs. We always say Mazda CX-5. You could get a used Lexus RX350. Is it fun to drive? No. Will it run till the earth stops spinning? Probably. Hmm. Also, look at an Acura MDX or RDX. Yep. I'm looking yep. at you have an SUV. You replace an SUV. I don't see the problem. Maybe let's not do that, though. I get it. So if you're going to replace that with something more fun, hang on to your Genesis Coupe for now. 
I th- think take a serious look at that Stinger. But if you're looking at the Stinger and you've already driven it and you like it, you have to look at a used Panamera. You just have to. Yeah. It's, yeah. Drop the seats on that. You and your son enjoy that car. I, I want to see you pull up to the school run and he pulls a base out of the back of a Panamera. Don't buy the turbo. Don't get the hottest one you can find. Get one, 45, 50 grand. Get one of those, a good used one, lots of maintenance done. I think you would really, really like that car. Of course, you could go Golf R. That has a surprisingly cavernous hatch. Will it fit a base? I don't it's know. 80 inches long. I don't know. That's my question because that's one of those cars that is much better, much more cavernous than it first appears. That feels like one of those, let's go to the dealer, son, and bring your base. That I'm would just be intrigued. Wouldn't that be funny? Thing you pull it out of whatever yep. and we like take it on into the showroom. Uh-huh. Don't wait in the parking lot for somebody no, no, no. to come meet you. Like, Here we go come. ahead, fit it through the door, clang, bang. This, this you know, guy, both and doors his son, open. I love it. Get that thing there with there. the base. I, I I think you have to do that. I think the Golf I R is a real you? candidate because the, uh-huh. the thing that the, the GTI or Golf R both do so well, either one of those, is they have so much space. Yeah, they have yeah. more space than your average SUV, which leads me to two wild cards. One is a Macan, because a Macan mm. is essentially Porsche makes a hatchback. Yeah, I, I also don't know if the base will fit in a Macan, but I, I have trouble swallowing the idea that the Macan is an SUV. The Macan is Porsche's hatchback. It's, it is. It's their Golf GTI competitor, but better. A little taller. So slightly. I think the Macan yeah. is a real option yeah. there. And then the, the real wild card I have, again, this is you buying the sports car down the line. This is the hauler. You know what we've heard is coming? <clears throat> You're a Toyota guy. What about the GR Corolla? That's a tasty thought, isn't, isn't it? Isn't that interesting? Now, it's wild card because it doesn't exist yet. We know it's yeah, coming. We've yeah. heard plenty of rumors that it's coming. There's supposed to be, you know, people have confirmed. I have no idea what's confirmed. There's plenty of rumors about a GR Corolla. The current Corolla is actually very good. We don't get the GR Yaris. The right. GR Corolla is supposed to be a lot of the GR Yaris thinking in the larger Corolla package, and that sounds like a win to me. A Supra and a GR Corolla in the garage. I am not an all the same brand guy, but I might give you a pass. That's I might. pretty cool. So I'm just wondering. That's the wild card, Richard. If you visit a dealership with the base. Please do. Take photos. Oh, yes. Maybe a little video about how surprised the salesperson is and how quickly they want to run away. Every winter, we find ourselves tracking snow, salt, and grime into our cars. Thankfully, Covercraft has a variety of floor mats to keep you winterproof. Covercraft floor mats and cargo mats are custom-fitted to your exact car and include the original equipment security grommets if applicable. They're the perfect and durable way to protect your car's carpet and add style and comfort to your interior. Plus, you can choose from many color and material options to complement or contrast the interior colors of your car or truck. Covercraft is sure to have what you need. They offer plush carpet, Berber carpet, or even sheepskin, which is warm in the winter and cool in the summer. Whatever mats you choose, remember to use the code EVERYDAY22 at checkout to receive a 10% discount and free shipping from Covercraft.com. RG is in Europe, writes to us, originally from Portland, Oregon, but apparently he's a digital nomad. Okay. Like most people are these days. He, but, but this is like dedicated to being a digital nomad. This is the thinking of if I don't have to actually be at a job, yeah. then I'm going to travel Europe staying only in Airbnbs and constantly on the move and stopping at the Airbnb to do work. And then I will check out of the Airbnb, hop in my car and drive to the next location in Europe and duplicate the process. This, RG, this sounds like the beginning of a movie premise. 
Yeah, he's even asking like for it. us to produce a video for all of us digital nomads. He said there's a growing number of us we nomads. Uh, okay. All right. Maybe so. He might actually be Jason Bourne. He's just not telling us. That I could that be. Thought too. Yeah. That could be. Well, to start out, RG will be buying and registering his car in Poland, but okay. then driving all over Europe. Okay. He says it's got to be a convertible. He'll be traveling all over the Balkans and Italy and Portugal. Oh, wow. Wow. Lots of great weather. Italy's a ways from Portugal. I mean, it's a doable drive. Yeah, it's just, you yeah. know. Europe is smaller than we think it is. We always it, it think always of things is. in the yeah. Western U.S. and things are quite a bit closer than that. But still, yeah. It's funny is I think uh, Berlin to Munich is about five hours. Mm. Now, again, they've got the Autobahn, so you can increase your speed. You can go quite quickly. Yes. But for us to Vegas is about five hours. <laughs> you're right. <laughs> when you put you're it in that perspective, right. it's like, oh, you're already in the southern part of Germany. Yeah. Huh. Okay. Well, RG's looking to spend about eight to 14,000 euros. Okay. And it must be reliable. He won't have a trusted mechanic to go to since he'll spend most of the year traveling. Okay. Like you said, he this. doesn't want to check out of an Airbnb and then find his car won't start. He'll be stuck sleeping in his car. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> I, I see it. Bad news, but yes. Should have lots of trunk space. He lugs around his laptop, lots of different clothes and shoes, like hiking clothes, bar hopping clothes, and a doggy bed for his faithful dog. Amazing. So you are living the year just uh, place shopping, country shopping. You're everywhere. You're all over the place. You're hopping everywhere cool. with your dog. I love this. is great. <laughs> says anything else beyond meeting these requirements is a bonus. He does note the air scarf on the Mercedes or the Audi sure looks good. I've always wondered who uses their air scarf. Well, apparently when do you put the RG top down? is going to do it all over right. Europe, except <laughs> I am going to say this. Look, as a dog owner myself. If you have the air scarf, what keeps the dog warm? I'm just saying, what's the blanket for the dog? Yeah. You may be super happy about the fact that you're being hardcore with your jacket and your air scarf. How much is the dog shivering like, I don't like you right now. Can we please put the big roof thingy up? <laughs> right. I'm hungry. I need to go to the bathroom. And it is cold in here. This wind is not fun. And you're over there going, air scarf. Yeah, exactly. Well, RG's looking at the 2010 to 2012 Mercedes E-Class Cabriolet because of comfort on long roads. But he's scared of the unreliable diesel version mm. and possible convertible top problems. You don't want to be caught in a rainstorm. The convertible top doesn't want to come up or you mm. lose hydraulic fluid in your Mercedes convertible. Who I knows know about nothing that? about That's interesting. Huh. Okay. <laughs> Why won't the top come up? So are there more reliable options or better options? He doesn't know. What is our advice? We have had our friend Greg come through Park City with he and his wife in a Miata RF. Mm-hmm. They did that. It wasn't, though, a year. It was a week. Yeah. They, they to their, for a week. To their credit, they were camping. Yeah, they, there was a, they were There camping. was a lot of two people yeah. in camping gear. I was quite impressed, but it wasn't a year, and there was no dog, and there was clothing for camping. It was hmm. not clothing for camping and going out at night and living for the next year, and by the way, here's all my digital nomad gear. Yeah. RG, I have one car and one car only you for really? you. really? One ping only. Like it. Exactly. Vasily, one ping only. I think you should buy a Porsche Boxster in Poland. I went and looked them up. Did you? I'm There's wondering many for sale. Good. I'm, I'm wondering what the Poland part of this is. There's a reason for Poland, but I'd love that you looked them up. In Maybe that's keep just going. where he's yeah. at now. Just the starting yeah. point, I guess. Boxster, sure. high, Boxster was the first thing I listed too. Please keep going though. You dug in further than I did there. Well, I found a 2010, the 2.9 for 14,486 euro with okay. 60,000 kilometers. That's 2010. Yeah. That's it's only excellent. twelve that's, years old right now. That's really good. That's hang on. Twenty ten is ten. That's after any of the engine issues too. 
Correct. That's superb. That's a find. 14,486 euro, and there are others like them. Of course, I found 99 boxers for, you know, 88. 100 euros yeah, yeah, yeah. or 9,000 euros, something like that. But that's about as new as I could find. That's, that's great find. A like, little bit. I only added 500 euro, but I bet you could talk them down to 14,000 euro right in Poland. Yeah. And I thought the reason I'm suggesting Boxster and Porsche is because in Europe, it's about like Ford or Chevy over here. You're going to either be able More to so. find a dealership or a mechanic who can service it for probably far less than the outlook what North Americans have towards Porsche. Oh, it doesn't matter that you paid 14,000 euro. Oh, you're rich. You're in a Porsche. You're right. You're right. No, 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 no. I paid like 14, 15 grand. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Sure. <laughs> it's a Porsche. See that badge right there? Yeah. I think the outlook towards those cars and the fact that I think there's a lot better service to be found in Europe for Porsches, mm-hmm. that you'll have an easier time if anything goes wrong. And then let's talk about trunk and frunk space. You got yes. two. Mm-hmm. Well, the trunk isn't as big as a Cayman. But nevertheless, it is still good size, and the front frunk is deep. It's it's actually surprisingly good. I agree. I think you're done. Whether you get manual, mm-hmm. whether you get an auto, PDK, don't care. I think that is your car. Interesting. That Hey, that's a good one. And, and I say that, RG, because that is actually the first thing that I listed as well, for all the reasons Paul has listed it. The way I would say to buy a Boxster is buy one and find a good mechanic at the start of these travels and just take, just plan for anything you buy, plan for it to need stuff. But I think buy that box or take it to a known mechanic that oh, knows the car, as the initial the car, and just thing. go, what does this need? Oh, and yeah. do all that. Yeah. Because I fully believe that if you get that box or sorted before you go, it's just going to run. I think so too. I think, I, I think the danger would be you buy one and you do nothing to it and you hope for the best and then it breaks on you and now you're going to be all angry because, of course, I bought a box and it was unreliable. Right. Anything you right. buy, I think you need to take it for a serious mechanic uh, shakedown and have them really tell you this is what this needs. Ideally, do a pre-person inspection so you didn't buy one bad to begin with. Right. But short of that, just spend extra money. I know extra money is not really a thing, but spend extra money to make sure that the one you got is properly sorted. Tell the mechanic what you plan to do. Mm-hmm. I'm going to be driving this around all of Europe for the next calendar year. What does it need? And that mechanic will take that in consideration. It's not like your local, like, mm-hmm. yeah, that thing I would place. Oh, you got 20% left on your rear brake pads. I would place those. No, you're going to be driving and you're not yeah. going to be around here. Let's go ahead and replace those. Totally. Let's go ahead so, and get that stuff done. I think you've I like got that. a plan for this, RG, over and above your car budget. I yeah. think you need to plan to get cars sorted. I love the Boxster. I think it is possibly the only choice, but I am going to mention three others. Oh, good. Okay. An Audi. A5, or if you can pull it off, S5 convertible. Interesting. That is a fantastic looking car. It has a good amount of trunk space. It's got a two plus two setup, so you have a little bit of room in a back seat that you could toss some stuff for easy use. I like the two plus two configuration on this idea. Those are just, they're around. And I remember when I first drove the A5 in base form, the base two liter, I was like, that's surprisingly good and fun, even in base form. If you can pull off the S5, of course, better. But also, these convertibles seem to drop faster than the hard tops. They do. So you've got an opportunity to get more for your money there. Similarly, the BMW 235 convertible. Oh, Sure. Interesting. I, I would trust one of those like crazy. Yeah. All of these, buy them for your budget and get them sorted first. But the 235 convertible BMW can't be ignored. And also, again, a trunk 
and it's two plus two configuration. And if you need to clean the seat back and spend a night, yeah, it's, you're going to be that's happier the than you are in the Boxster for sure. Yeah, <laughs> so I think the the BMW's got to be considered. And my wild card is only if what you're leaning on is driving fun and reliable above all else, because mm. you've got to be mm. the world's most efficient packer. And then you buy an NC Miata. It is the roomiest Oof. of the Miatas. Oof. It is the biggest of the Miatas. Yeah. So largest trunk, biggest cabin. I think you could possibly pull it off if you are super efficient. I have no idea how efficient you are. I think you would feel like you were in a boat with luxury extra space in an S5 or a BMW M235 compared to the MX-5. But if you are hardcore, maybe. And also, how big is your dog? I have no idea. But there's my list. Hopefully something there works. But whatever it is, please do a shakedown first. You've heard us talk about drive homework because it's vital to drive a lot of things when you're trying to find your next car. Knowing your options is incredibly important. And this applies to online shopping too. You don't want to search just one website unless that site is searching all the other ones for you. That's why we love Auto Tempest. We know you've heard us talk about it before and we hope you've already seen how far you can shop with just one search. Auto Tempest pulls from all the top used car sites at once so you know you won't miss that ideal car. Autotempest.com. All the cars one search. Thanks for your questions. Really appreciate it. We've got an interesting one here on Instagram from T Downey 28, who says there's been a lot of collaboration on sporty seats in cars okay. where manufacturers will use Recaro or Sparco seats. Yep. But has there ever been a luxury or design based collaboration on seats like an Eames design seat in a Volvo? This is right up your alley. Could kind of see. I mean, we're talking furniture that is like low hanging fruit. And car design. Welcome to the next hour. I love it. That's great. What a great question. And to my knowledge, there hasn't been any architect or noted designer short of Mark Newson that has tackled this. Mm. Now, Mark didn't do specifically automotive seats only. Mm -hmm. 20 years ago, he designed the Ford 021C, and it was named that after the Pantone orange color. Yeah, yeah. So he took a crack at just the entire, let's do a car. Yeah, yeah. Now, Mark is known for the Lockheed Lounge from 1988. He's done a lot of famous designs, brilliant stuff, just clean, simple, but very signature look. You kind of know when a product is Mark Newson. But if you go to his website, his first name is M-A-R-C, by the way, M-A-R-C-Newson.com. And Mark has done aircraft interiors. He has done Mm. objects, furniture, all kinds of stuff. I, I love, he's one of my favorite designers. But if you think about it, Short of, well, pull Trona Frau leather in the Maserati that I had. Or an Eddie Bauer seat in the Ford. Well, yeah. That's, <laughs> I really, good Sorry, one. I said that just good to see one. the look on your face, which was horror. Because it does not count. Yes. Think of this, T. Downey. Car seats are highly regulated. Okay. Yes. They've got built-in airbags, heating and ventilation. They've got power adjustments, air bladders for lumbar support, whiplash protection, side impact protection. They need to support cornering forces. They're designed for long-distance travel and your comfort in mind. Wow. Yeah. Now compare that to airliner seats, Mm. also very highly regulated. But when you sit in them or spend any time, like many of us have, even though they're lightweight and they maximize the cabin space to cram as many of us in the cabin as they can. <laughs> Yo, you're in the cattle section. Sell more seats. <laughs> yeah. The main thing they need to have is a flotation cushion. Mm-hmm. They have minimal recline. Good support is a lower priority than the two built-in trays on the sides and back. And they're not built inexplicably with long distance travel comfort in mind. <laughs> you would Even think. though this, can you imagine car seats 
in an airplane. I'm not talking in first class. I'm just talking your average You're car right. seat with heating and airbags and lumbar That's a and all point. the wiring and crap that goes into a car seat in three, you know, in the single aisle jets or whatever. Imagine how heavy it would make that jet. You're right. So, and of how course, comfortable all of us would be. Exactly right. <laughs> You've got to take like out. It. That's good. Leave every other row and then uh-huh. install car seats. So now we're talking instead of three by three, we're talking two by two on a same 737. Or I like this. What a crazy thought, I right? I do like this, yeah. Well, Mark Newson did design an airline seat. It's called the Skybed. He designed it for Qantas Airlines in 2002, which turns out for first class in business was a fully flat bed with a cocoon pod and internal lighting system, but it's still very minimal. Mm. It's thin padding. It's a sure, thin yeah. frame and you can tell, well, it has to be, yeah. we're talking about weight here. The, the kinds of things that cars don't have to abide by mm. and car seats are not exactly architectural. They're, they're sculptural, but they're not architectural like an mm. airline seat is mm. where you, you kind of get the furniture that could go in my house that could go around my dining room table. I could kind of see the aesthetic. Whereas a car seat, even though people have tried to turn them into office chairs, which suck usually, <laughs> I guess they're okay, but you know what I mean? Yeah. You don't want a car seat anywhere else, but a car mm. and inexplicably no architects and designers again, to my knowledge have actually tackled that Interesting. because okay. of all the, aspects that have to go into that. It yeah. would almost be defeating it. Would leave it to the design team that wants to spec with the color and trim team. Mm-hmm. Here's what we're looking for. Okay, so it's sports car, so the you know the bolsters are gonna be higher. We need two or yeah, three different yeah. types of seats. You know, Porsche puts the carbon buckets for the you know the track cars. And, yes they do. You know, but they also have the eighteen way power adjustable Porsche nine eleven <laughs> turbo seats that are yep. huge and heavy and thick. But car seats are 200 pounds at least with it's all amazing. the stuff in them. It's amazing. I've taken the seats out of the Lotus a couple of times and I always laugh because I know that you're picking up like a notebook compared to the average seat. It's just <laughs> astounding. Some of the best ones we've seen, which include all of that stuff and are still thin and delicate and beautiful are from the Volvo S60. Yes. Volvo They're does an amazing fantastic. job of somehow putting all of the heating, cooling, and airbags and massage in a seat that is half as thick as everybody else. I don't yeah. know who, what they did. I don't either. They're brilliant. And it works well, which is craziness. I mean, there's no you know screen on the back of the headrest, but wiring is minimal you know, for yeah. airline seats. Who, who cares? But I would <laughs> love to see an architect tackle that. But what mm. we're going to end up with is probably you know bespoke furniture, a side chair kind of a design, yeah. trying to stuff into a car where... We want our stuff. We want our comfort. Interesting. Dammy asks on Facebook, why doesn't the Jaguar F-Type get more love? He said he feels like it's the poor man's Aston Martin. He thinks it looks better than the Aston Martin, the current Vantage. I totally agree with you. Is it down to poor reliability? It's actually one of his attainable dream cars. Dammy, dream on because it is awesome. We've mm-hmm. mentioned it now and then on this podcast. The, the F-Type is one of those cars that gets overshadowed by other things around it. Okay, like the Cayman or the 911 could be more obvious choices than the F-Type. If you want to go a little more reliable and cheaper and, and uh, you've got a little American muscle in your blood, we're going to go Corvette instead. Okay, but we're walking around in the neighborhood where the Jaguar F-Type is. If you like it, get one yeah. or dream about one. Every time I've driven one, I've been like, these are great. But they are an alt to the obvious. So as a result, they don't get talked about as much, didn't sell as well. And for a little while, they made them with a six-speed. And that was brilliant. <laughs> Hayden BRZ asks if hydraulic power steering always equates 
to more steering feel. Mm. He was thinking about the C6 Corvette versus the C7. Well, over the years, we have found hydraulic steering to consistently be improved. It's taken a while from the, the early cars, but if you go back to the first Honda S2000... Oh, you're talking about electronic assist. Sorry, sorry electric assist. Yes. Yeah, that mm-hmm. was electric assist 20 years ago. Yeah, but for sure it was. Over time, electric power steering racks have definitely improved because those early racks, short of the Honda, didn't give you a whole lot, and mm-hmm. it was very obvious. And the problem with that is journalists over the years have perpetuated the myth that electric racks are like now are like they were... In the beginning. Sure, okay, yeah. Which is not true anymore. They can continually get better. But we can always tell the feel when the car does have an electric rack. doesn't matter if it's brand new Mm. or fully sorted. There's there's a feel to it that you can always tell. Ah, I don't even have to look at the spec sheet. I can tell. Versus you get in a hydraulic-steered car, the natural gait of that steering reveals itself instantly. It's like vinyl versus CDs. I know that sounds weird, but it, there's, a, there's a an good organic analogy. feel yeah. to a hydraulic rack. But I will say this. Here's the flip side of it, Hayden, and that is I will not to say that that always means more steering feel. There is a feel, to Paul's point, there is a feel to a hydraulic rack versus an electronic-assisted mm-hmm. rack. But you can be in a hydraulically-assisted car and have no information. It has that nice, syrupy oh, feel. Yeah. Porsche 928. <laughs> <laughs> That's a nice syrupy feel. No clue. Yeah, exactly. There's no actual information. <laughs> a lot of weight but the hydraulic, of hydraulic rack feels really nice. <laughs> yeah. And you can be in an electric-assisted car, and you can tell it's electrically-assisted, but you still feel like you're getting some tire sure, info. Sure, the, the The worlds have, are not black and white anymore. And it's one of the things that I was surprised by when I got into my 300ZX is here's a hydraulic steering rack from the golden era, right? Mm-hmm. And the information from that steering rack is... Okay, it's it's okay. Mm-hmm. I know it's hydraulic and it has a nice feel, but but there's not a lot of feel exactly what the tires are doing. Right. Versus right. this GR86 we just bought. By the way, we bought a GR86. Hello. Uh, <laughs> that one has an electronic power steering rack, and it actually feels pretty good. It's it's fairly informative. It's not like a fire hose, but it's fairly informative. You know, I'm thinking about the the comparison that we did with the Lotus Avora GT versus yes, the M2CS. Uh huh. Talk about a great matchup, but between the two kinds of feel, mm-hmm. whereas the Lotus came away, you really felt a lot of the road. Big time. Great hydraulic rack on that. Whereas I felt like the M2CS, as quick and accurate and sharp as it was, I understood more what the car was doing than what the surface underneath me was Agreed. doing. Agreed. Yes. I could do this, and I know the car is going to react a certain way mm-hmm. because the corner's dry, it's warm outside, I've got good tires, and... Mm-hmm. Wow, that just look what the car can do to respond to make me have a really precise line. Yep. But the surface underneath was vague. I hear that. Even though it's yeah. a brilliant car, I would take a CS in a heartbeat. That's a great back to back. Those two compared was a great way to look at it for sure. Fat Ferret says, We've said that the smart car had a terrible transmission. No, I have to rewind. <laughs> it terrible doesn't even come close. <laughs> One of the worst ones I've ever driven. I, if I remember correctly, I made the comment in the original smart car that it, the transmission felt so bad and laggy that I was pretty sure somebody was building the next gear while I was using the current one. It was terrible in that car. It's an insult to terrible it's, things anyway. Exactly. There are, there are terrible transmissions that are better than that one. Anyway, he said, would an electric version be any better or just, just that bad? No, I, honestly, the electric version would be, it, there's no chance of it being anything but better. You don't have a transmission and it's just power. I mean, smart car is not something I'm going to gravitate toward anyway, but I think an electric version is what that car always should have been, frankly. Mm-hmm. 
Well, Chris Hutch four asks our thoughts on the ID buzz, which has just rev- been revealed. Mm-hmm. It's Volkswagen's new electric bus minivan. I remember us seeing them on highway 33 a couple of years ago. They were testing them. That mm-hmm. thing's been bubbling under the surface for years and it's yeah, now it out. Well, Chris, I actually really like it. Do you? I think of all companies to tackle a very clean design, but yet reflect on their history to bring something new that doesn't really feel like a minivan, although that's kind of what it is. Yeah, for sure. It's not really bus-like, even though it has the heritage for a bus. Mm. It doesn't have the minivan kind of feel specifically because of its one-box shape. Oh, sure. Yeah. Minivans Mm -hmm. nowadays have a pretty long pronounced hood. They're almost Mm. two box designs. Almost every minivan on the market is kind of a two box. That's just by virtue of engine placement. But by going fully electric and by using their history, Mm. what they've been able to do is make a flat floor. The beauty of that original Volkswagen bus when you got into the driver or front passenger seat was all this Foot and leg room. You were sitting over the engine, staring down the whole hood of the car. Yeah. Well, the yeah. engine's way in the back. It's, oh, that's it's right. no yeah, rear. That you just have the steering there. gear yep. under right. you. Yes, that's true. There's nothing up here. It's just flat. There's nothing there. So I think looking at the photos of the interior, it kind of continues that. Mm-hmm. Now, we hope they change their entire interface. I hope it doesn't carry that horrible interface that Volkswagen has invented. <laughs> it's, it's genuinely That will very be bad. its downfall that if they don't change it. And no one's liked it, by the way. Nobody. No one's been like, no, everybody else is wrong. This interface is fine. It's, it's not good. I'm sure it looked great. Sorry, side rant. I'm sure it looked great <laughs> in the presentation in the boardroom. Of course it did. It looked great, yeah. But you open the doors, look at this thing. It feels more bus-like than minivan-like. Although mm-hmm. you could argue, well, this is just Volkswagen's new minivan. They've never really had a minivan, even though they, I think they cribbed one from Kia or something, called it the They rebrand Sharan. one as the Anorak or whatever the heck it was or called. was it yes. a Chrysler? I can't remember. Yeah. Anyway, it was very short-lived. Yeah, Chrysler. It thing, wasn't their product. This feels like Volkswagen's very minimalistic design approach done well. This is the vehicle where mm. all of their expertise needs to come out, and I think they've nailed it. I think it's fantastic. I like that they're bringing it back. And this could be the turning point to get us away from SUVs and CUVs. Is this the savior? Uh, that would be nice. I, I, I think it's surprised, cool looking yeah. from a cargo or passenger. It, it feels like bus and van, not minivan. It doesn't feel like uh, uh, it's just a minivan kind mm-hmm. of a look. No, it feels kind of fresh. And of ev- any company to be able to do this and pull it off Clean surfaces, clean styling, minimalistic headlights and taillights. The graphics are just very nicely That's done. Good stuff. This is Volkswagen's sweet spot. Okay. For any That's of their really vehicles, good. they have nailed this, and I like it a lot. Well okay. done, Volkswagen. For all the stuff that they don't do well, <laughs> like the GLIs, they forgot the factory was still running over here. And Yikes. Yeah, okay. This is pretty cool. And if they can do a good range, electric range, and the surfaces, it's minimal. It looks a little bit like a furniture approach to my eye. Mm. This that's, is cool. That's high praise. I do like this. I'm kind of digging this. I, I'm going to actually jump to an email that Kareem wrote. And I'm going to mention that real quickly because it's not actually a normal question. But he's asking, just kind of throwing this out there. He's saying, would we move to a place with better roads if it would mean we had less good cars? <laughs> and the short answer, Kareem, is Yeah. 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 If yeah. you can, 
And, and that's the thing. A lot of times you can't do that. We've, we've joked on the podcast before. People have written us and we've said, well, what you really need to do is not get a car. You need to move. It, if you are a car person and you live in a place where you can't use your cars, in Kareem's case, he has multiple cars and he has a 911 that he loves that he would probably have to sell to move from, if I remember correctly, Chicago to San Diego. He'd probably have to sell the 911 to make the finances work. Mm-hmm. He said, but I, as a car guy, as a person that wants a different lifestyle, I think, th- I think this is good. I, I will say this. As car obsessed as I am, don't move somewhere just for driving roads. As much as I am sure. a car person. Sure. Make sure that the lifestyle that you're moving to, like Chicago to San Diego, there's a whole lifestyle that's going to change with that. It's not just driving roads. Right. Weather, the style, all kinds of stuff about the way you're going to live is going to change. If you're interested in living in the place that has the roads, I'll give you a perfect, perfect personal example. Houses in Nuremberg, Germany, are comparatively cheap. Uh-huh. And as any car enthusiast has ever gone to the ring and seen these little cheap houses in the middle of nowhere, Germany, I've gone, huh. <laughs> and then I catch myself because as much as I would like to live by the ring, I would walk out outside of my house and be just by the ring. There'd be nothing else. Right. right. And it's interesting and it's intriguing. We go, wouldn't that be cool? And then I go, I don't really want to live here though. Sure. So sure. you have to you have to have something more than just the roads. But if there's a place you want to you, you're considering moving, and there's roads that you could take advantage of your car, but maybe you step down in a car, I would say all day long, because you can still get our eight thousand dollar cars. Prove it. Our cheap sedans. Prove it. The GR eighty six new proves it. There are plenty of fun cars that are cheap. Mm. I would hate for you to own a car that is the most car you can afford, and you can never use it well. Versus, Interesting. you know yeah. what, I bought a third of the car I can afford, but I use it all the time and I love it. I think that's a better driving experience. Jared Rose 1 went to the Amelia Island Concours this past weekend, he says, and saw the Hispano Suiza. Okay. Any comments on the design or reviving the historic nameplate? Well, I'm all for reviving historic nameplates. If you do it well and you respect mm. design rules and language. <laughs> My comments on the design of this. I think it's unsuccessful. Meaning ugly. Like, <laughs> like I want to scrape my eyeballs out there. of my head. Let's just go there, yeah. Because when you go with such a dramatic theme, it makes it very difficult to resolve that for everything else you're trying to do. What's the powertrain? What's the packaging for the interior, the luggage, the people, all that stuff. So when you do this dramatic, huge kind of theme, when it comes down to resolving those surfaces into the passenger cabin, for example, that makes those transitions very awkward. Hmm. And what it forces you to do is draw and sculpt other design elements that don't relate to your giant theme. It's too <laughs> exaggerated. And that's what works for toys. It oh, that's interesting. Yeah. For, mm-hmm. From scale models to plastic toys for kids, whatever that is. Hot Wheels has built a business predicated solely on this and that's why the cars that go from the miniature hot wheels matchbox scale Mm -hmm. up to full size you know when they've built them yeah and you're finally there in person you go whoa what is that the proportion the proportions on this are so way out of whack Mm -hmm. this doesn't work but it's perfect for a hot wheels remember when we had the designer from hot wheels on here he talked about doing that in reverse when they scaled down a normal car they couldn't just scale it down and have it perfect because it didn't look right as a hot wheels they had to push them things or exaggerate them then you go oh well that's a corvette but it's not exactly like the corvette or whatever exactly so as a scale Mm. model this would be fun. It'd be a cool little toy. It'd be a, it, it's eye catching. 
because the surfaces in the theme are so big and in your face. Mm. I am not an expert in acting by any sense, but from what talking to Kate, your wife mm-hmm. has told me the differences between, uh, well, Josh Doherty too, the difference sure. between theater acting yes. where you're, you're big on stage, your face is painted and the, you know, the, the crazy back makeup. row has to see you. Yes. Right. And it's, it's the car equivalent of that versus mm, that's good. A, a, a movie where mm-hmm. it's just an intimate scene with you and an, another person and you're small. The camera's right in your face. It's right here. The tiniest little nuance because it's a close-up. Your, your right. face is 50 feet high right. on the screen. You, you tw- twitch your eye. We all saw that. Exactly. But in theater, nobody saw that happen. Exactly. Yeah. So it's that, that yeah, difference. That's good. I like that. Now, that's why some modern cars look kind of boring. And you think, okay, designers, come on, mm. team. Let's mm. push it. Let's exaggerate it more. Well, there's only so far you can go before you start to alienate your customers and alienate your theme, your Mm. corporate brand. So that's the design team decision. But this car, the Hispano Suiza, I'm all for bringing them back. But this works as a toy. This is a Hot Wheels (laughs) come to life again, and it's not successful. It needs to remain a toy. um, uh, The the color was uh, bold. Should we go with that? It's a toy car color. Mm -hmm. So... If that's what you like and you have as much money as the owner of this one does, have at it. (laughs) Have a nice day. Getting close to home here, uh, Parker said, have we looked at the UMC website lately? He's not sure if he's reading it correctly, but is there something Lotus happening? There is something Lotus happening because it is owned. Our local racetrack, uh, Utah Motorsports Campus, is owned by Geely, parent company of Volvo and these kind of things. So they are going to bring the Lotus driving experience to our local track. We don't have further details, but we know it's coming. We are quite intrigued by the fact that it will be here. I might drive my Lotus to the Lotus driving experience just to say I did it. So, Parker, that is happening. Also, Nate is asking about future plans. If we are planning to review the Elantra in, we have it on our extreme short list. We hope. I'm not going to guarantee it until it's actually been shot. And we're in post because the footage got home. But we are hoping to have it as part of season 11. We shall see. Last question for me from Ben C. Asking for a car like his GTI. Are the new all-weather kinds of tires sporty enough to replace the ultra-high performance all-seasons mm. that he's got on for summer and his dedicated winters? So he's trying to go back to one set of tires. Yep. Where in southwest Michigan, where he lives, he gets about 60 to 70 inches of snow per year. He doesn't do any track driving, but he does take spirited back roads every week. We have found that all-weather tires in a ratio that have a lower sidewall profile can be very good, mm-hmm. but that doesn't really replace the do-it-all or the, the specific tool for the job. Agreed. Agreed. It can't. They never can, nor should they ever. Sure. But for you, you said you don't track, and I get the idea you're not doing too much autocrossing, mm-hmm. and you're also in Southwest Michigan, the right tire in the right size. So what you need to consider is maybe changing wheel sizes. Mm. So you're on an all-weather tire, but you have a lower sidewall profile. Your That's ratio is a little bit different. That, yeah. Don't just put all-weathers on and think, okay, I've got sporty tires for all mm-hmm. seasons with a 60,000-mile tread life. <laughs> maybe consider going all-weathers with a little bit larger wheel. Maybe at that point you can go lighter wheel too. Interesting. I like that because we actually have really enjoyed our all-weathers, but they certainly are not a high-performance tire, even right. though the, the versatility right. is amazing, but you can't come in with some sort of high-performance summer expectation because they're obviously not that. Right. Sure. Appreciate all your questions. As we said, we're always looking forward to next time. Thank you guys for all your support. Please rate and review the podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Please do, yes. It is always very helpful. Leave a little note and uh, what you like, what you don't, and uh, we really appreciate it. Looking forward to hearing from you. Everyday Driver TV at gmail.com. Cheers, everyone.